the dog had rabies, and as a result, the man had contacted them from that dog bite. This was back in the time when uh, doctors could do very little for someone who had rabies. No cure had yet been established. And so the doctor went to the man and he delivered him the bad news. And he said, sir, everything possible will be done to make you comfortable, but we can't offer you any false hope. My best advice to you is to begin to put your affairs in order as soon as possible. The dying man sank into uh, depression and shock, and then finally he rallied enough strength to ask for a pen and paper, and he began to write fur uh, furiously. It, about an hour later, the doctor returned to his room, and the man was still writing. He was still busy writing uh, just feverishly, and uh, the doctor said, well, it's good to see that you've taken my advice and that you're working on your will. The man replied, this isn't my will, doctor. This is a list of the people I plan on biting before I die. <laughs> I laughed when I read that, but I'm, I'm here to tell you that that is what bitterness does. It channels all of our energy into biting others and injecting them with the same toxic poison that we ourselves have received. It's interesting to me that our word bitterness comes from an old root word meaning to bite. It's such a picture. I'm here to tell you tonight that we do not war against flesh and blood. That person you're bitter at <laughs> is not your enemy. You have an enemy, one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy. And his whole purpose in your life is to release his toxic venom into you, into your, to poison your heart and your mind. And then once you're infected with it, with the root of unforgiveness and anger, you begin to strike out at others and release that same toxic venom into their life. And that happens because we allow the emotion of hurt and betrayal to spill out over into the lives of others, and it leaves us miserable and lacking joy. Bitterness snuffs out the candle of joy and leaves our soul in darkness. It doesn't hurt the person who hurt us. It's a toxin in our own life. My mama used to say to me that bitterness does more damage in the vessel in which it's stored than the one in which it's poured. And that's so true. I was reading in Acts uh, 8.23 this week, and Peter said to Simon the sorcerer, for I see that you are poisoned by bitterness and bound by iniquity. That was so interesting to me, because Peter could see bitterness on Simon. You've heard me say this a million times. When I go into a speaking event on the weekend, one of the things I do is I stand in the corner and I scan the crowd, because I'm looking for bitterness. I'm looking for anger and hatred. And you say, well, Rhea, do you have some kind of supernatural spiritual gift to do that? No, I don't. It shows right here on people's face. What always strikes me is that, especially us as women, we work so hard to, to fix our hair, to buy the right makeup, to dress just right. And yet we refuse to do business in our heart with the thing that is, is so toxic to us that I can identify it in a crowd. Bitterness is a poison, and it will spread throughout our life. We have been wronged, we have been done dirty, and we think it's not fair. 
And then we come into agreement with the whisper of the enemy that alters the internal atmosphere of our heart. And, and our hearts become tainted with that offense and we find ourselves meditating upon life circumstances and concluding that God doesn't love us and that we have not been given a fair deal. And that, my friend, that atmosphere is ripe for bitterness. And that's what I'd like to talk to you about tonight as we open the word to Hebrews chapter 12. But would you just pray with me before we begin? Father, I thank you for my friends gathered here tonight. They could be any other place tonight, and they've chosen to be here to sit under the teaching of your word. And I thank you that your word never, ever returns void. That's a promise from you that it always goes forth for the very thing that you sent it to do, that it will accomplish what you want it to do. And so, Father, we come into agreement with your word tonight, that when it's spoken, it's going to go forth in this place and prosper in hearts and minds. It's going to set captives free tonight. Lord, I declare it in Jesus' name. It's going to break through bondages tonight. It's going to mend broken hearts tonight, Lord. Father, that's who you are. It's why Jesus came. And so, Father, I pray that the atmosphere in this room tonight would be so supernaturally charged with your presence, that your Holy Spirit would just rest in this place in power. Lord, that you would go in and out of the rows and that you would minister life to your people. Father, I pray that you'd put a filter on my mouth that I would say only what you want me to say and that you'd help me to declare it as fearlessly as I ought unapologetically, Lord. Would you grant me authority with your word? Help me to preach it with boldness and with confidence, Lord God. And I pray that when we leave this place tonight, we would testify that surely the Lord was in that place. Lord, I pray that your presence will be so heavy here tonight. Lord, there are people who are desperate there are people who are hurting. There are brokenhearted people here tonight. And Father, I'm asking you to have mercy on us and to come in power and to set captives free in this place. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Hebrews chapter 12. I'll begin reading in uh, verse 12. Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees and make straight the paths for your feet so that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. Pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Looking carefully, lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble, and by this many become defiled." Lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. For you know that afterward, when he wanted to inherit the blessing, he was rejected, for he found no place for repentance, though he sought it with tears. If I ask you tonight if any of you knew a better person, few, if any of us, would have any problem bringing someone to mind. Yet seldom are we willing to look at our own hearts and admit any bitterness in us. I heard someone say recently that bitter people are like porcupines. They may have many fine points, but they're hard to get close to. 
And that's so true. It's my prayer that as we explore this passage together tonight, that we will see clearly God's remedy for, bit, for bitterness and, and realize that we don't want to live like porcupines. The problem with bitterness is that everybody else can see it, but the person plagued with it is blind to it. And so I pray tonight that the revelation of God's word would open our hearts, would soften our hearts, would open our eyes to see what the pride of our heart doesn't want to see. Our text tonight begins in verse 12, and it says, Therefore strengthen the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, that what is lame may not be dislocated, but rather healed. It's a picture of a runner, a runner who's weary of the race, a runner whose arms are hanging down and his knees are buckling, and he's losing the proper form for running. Ask any runner. My son used to run cross country. They will tell you that form is important when you're running. When you're running a race, the form that you're running with is important. It will speed up your race or it will slow you down depending on your form. This is a picture of someone who's been running a race. You see, Hebrews 12 starts describing the Christian life as a race. It's a race. And this runner in, in verses uh, 12 and 13 is weary. It's someone who doesn't feel they're able to continue in the race. They're discouraged. He's saying, uh, let me, I, I just want to ask you a question when you look at that. I, I wonder if you've ever gotten weary of running the path set out for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you're weary of the Christian race. You're weary of trying to do the right thing when everybody coming at you is doing the wrong thing. You're weary of trying to choose right when everybody around you is choosing wrong. You're weary. Have you ever gotten discouraged and felt like giving up on the race? Did you ever have days where you thought, I'll just drop out of the race because it's much too hard? In verse 13, the runner's getting off the path that was set before him. There is a path that's been set before you. You have to understand, in order to understand the Christian walk and not get bitter and not get weary and, and not get discouraged, we have to come to a place where we understand we belong to God. We belong to God. And before you were born, he called you. Before you were born, he numbered your days. That he is God and you're not. And he's got a path marked out for you. Leah and I always tease and we say we could take a shortcut and go another direction. But this path, we would end up back on the same path again. So we might as well just do it right. We could fall out of the race, but we'd have to start back over. And, and this is the race marked out for you. Your race might look differently than mine. Your race might be filled with different pain than mine, but, but I'm telling you, whatever the race is set out before you, keep your eye on the finish line. Keep your eye on the author and the finisher of your faith. This runner is weary. Why is he weary? Verse 12 tells us, because of people, because of man. There is nothing that will discourage us more and make us weary in the journey than to be at odds with someone or to be harboring bitterness or unforgiveness towards them. All uh, of the previous verses in Hebrews 12, uh, verses 2 through 11, talk about the chastening of the Lord, or the discipline of the Lord, the spankings of God, if you will. The things that God uses in life to chasten us, to make us look more like Him. Can I just ask you, 
If there's somebody in your life, if you have an enemy, if you have somebody who's difficult in your life, if you have somebody who's causing you pain that you are bitter about, can I just ask you to consider just for one moment that maybe, just maybe, God is using that person to teach you something about himself, to get rid of something in you that he couldn't have access to any other way? That'll change the way you look at difficult people. If you can look, you see, bitterness arises when we lose sight that our hard situations could actually be God using those things to conform us into his image and change us. When we start seeing people and hard situations not as a place where God is working, but as an opportunity to blame God and question his faithfulness to us, that's when our ground of our heart becomes ripe for bitterness. So the author of Hebrews offers a solution in verse 14. He says, pursue peace with all people. That word pursue means to run swiftly in order to catch a person or a thing. It means to run after, to follow after, to pursue, to seek eagerly, to earnestly endeavor to acquire, to go after with the desire of obtaining. It means to follow or press hard after. Oh, can I just ask you, are you pursuing peace with all men? The word, it's interesting to me, can also mean to hunt. It's a picture of a hunter in pursuit of his game. I, I saw Larry Cirillo at church yesterday, and Larry is a big hunter. And, and I said to him, Larry, can I just pick your brain for a minute? I, I said, I'm looking at this word in the word of God, and it's talking about pursuing peace with, with all men and how that word means hunt. I said, Larry, can you tell me what you do in preparation to get your prey? When you go out hunting a deer, what do you do? He always oh, said, Rhea, it starts long before the day. I leave my house to go out to shoot that, that deer. He said, I scout that deer. I'll put salt licks out. He said, I have cameras that I'll monitor uh, where they're going. I'll, I'll track them. And, and he said, I, I, I do all kinds of things in preparation for the hunt. I said, Larry, so it's intentional. He said, absolutely intentional. It takes time and effort. Larry has to, to not be with Leah sometimes because he, he's preparing to go hunting and, or he's hunting, he's scouting. And, and it takes sacrifice. Sometimes you sacrifice for the hunt. It's a picture of what God is saying here. He's saying that, that we need to pursue. We need to be intentional about pursuing peace with other people. It's not merely living at peace with someone if they don't tick you off or push your buttons, but they're rather pursuing peace, being intentional, going out of your way to be peaceful with all men. Are we willing to pursue peace? Do we do this? Do we pursue and hunt down peace with all men? Or do we withdraw from those who hurt us and hurt them back? Or do we write them off? Do we pursue peace with our spouse after they've hurt us? Or do we put up walls and keep our, to keep ourselves safe or shut down around them? How about coworkers and, and friends who have hurt us? How about ex-spouses or, or enemies? Do we pursue peace with them? Even when they've done us dirty? Even when they've talked rudely about us and hurt our feelings? Or do we slander them and give them the silent treatment? Or talk rudely about them to others. God says, here is the answer to bitterness. Pursue peace with all men. Be intentional about it. Seek it out. Go out of your way for it. You say, well, Rhea, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know what kind of people I have in my life. All I can tell you is what the word of God says. And it says, pursue peace with all men. 
Your case is not the exception. It, it, we just don't get to pick and choose. All men means all men. It, men, it means our, our enemies, our family. It means those who have hurt us, those we're in relation with, all men. It's in the present imperative. Where are my Friday morning people? What is present imperative? Imperative is a command, and, and present tense means continually or habitually. It's a command for us to continually habitually pursue peace, no matter what. Peace is not a decision I make today and then do tomorrow if I feel like it. It's a lifelong commitment that I make to pursue peace. It's a daily, moment-by-moment decision. It's not a passive thing. I have to be intentional about pursuing peace. That word peace means harmonious relationships between men, and it means exemption from the rage and havoc of war. It means peace between individuals. But here's what I love the very most. It means inner rest or well-being and harmony. I really like that part of the definition because at first when I was studying this, I was thinking, Lord, you're telling me that I need to pursue peace with Sandy at all costs. I need to be like, Sandy, be my friend. I need to be nice to Sandy even when she's rude with me. And that's exactly what it means. But it means, you see, sometimes there's a scripture that says, live at peace with one another as far as it depends on you. That tells me that sometimes you can pursue peace with somebody, but they want nothing to do with peace. I read a, a psalm this week that said, all day long, I, I, live with, with, uh, I live among a people who I say peace and they want to live at war. Have you ever had somebody like that in your life where you pursue peace with them, but they're just nasty? They are nasty. And they reject any advance of peace on your part. As far as it depends on you, live at peace with one another. Sometimes it's not possible, but your job is still to pursue peace. But here's what I love the best about the scripture is it just means, it doesn't just mean I'm pursuing peace with you. It means regardless of how you treat me, there is a place in God where I can have inner peace. I can have inner well-being. Look at that definition. This is right out of the Greek dictionary. The word conveys the sense of inner rest, well-being, and harmony. It's interesting to me that that word peace can also, uh, the, the word pursue can also mean to persecute. That's where that word hunt is. You, you hunt them down to kill them. And uh, somebody who's persecuting you will, will be on your tail all the time to hurt you. It, it means to be mistreated, to suffer persecution on account of something. And I, I couldn't make the connection between the word pursue peace, meaning persecute, having the tie to persecution. Are you with me? Are you following me? Stay with me because this is deep, but it'll change your life. I couldn't make that connection. Why, Lord, would the word pursue mean to persecute? In fact, most of the translations using that word in the New Testament means persecuted. Blessed is he who persecuted on my account. That's that same word that means pursue. And I was like, Lord, what, what does that mean? And then I looked up the word persecute, and it means to cause to suffer because of belief. Listen to me. If you miss everything I say tonight, don't miss this. You see, sometimes when I do what God tells me to do, when I pursue peace with somebody who's not even sorry for what they've done, I have to suffer because of my beliefs. I have to suffer because of my decision to conform to God's will and do it. I think that's the tie. 
I think that's the connection that he's making there. You see, when I choose to pursue peace, when I hunt it down, when I go after it in my relationships, I just might suffer because of it. The people I'm pursuing peace with may reject me or hurt me more. But I think that's what Jesus meant when he said, blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, because they're doing the right thing, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You say, well, Rhea, you can't possibly expect me to be nice to someone who's being mean to me. Let me tell you about that word peace again. Precept Austin says, peace is a condition of freedom from disturbance whether outwardly or inwardly within the soul. Outwardly or inwardly within the soul. You see, I can have peace with you regardless of how you treat me because I can determine that I will not allow your treatment of me and your behavior towards me to disturb my peace. That is your option. Do you understand that peace is a fruit of the Spirit? It's a, it, it is a fruit that comes when I abide with God. You see, if you don't have peace tonight, it's because you are not abiding. You're not living. You're, you're not, not dwelling in a place of intimacy with God. You're jumping in and out of intimacy with him. You see, somebody's mean to you, so you're over here, you're so mean to me, and I can't believe you said that to me, and how could you be so... Do you understand that you're a child of God? You are loved by him. Who really cares what people think about you? You can't be me and care what people think about you. I promise you. But you see, you don't get to disturb my inner peace because my inner peace comes from intimacy with God. I know what he thinks about me. I know what he says about me. What Susie down the street says about me really doesn't matter. And you see, when we get to that place, when we get to that place, we live in a place of undisturbed rest. That's why God says we forgive. I love the scripture that says that Christ forgives for his own sake. He doesn't forgive because we deserve it. He forgives for his own sake. Dear one, let that person go. Forgive for your own sake. Get them back by living well. My mama used to say to me, the best revenge is a life lived well, Rhea. Get them back by living well. Don't let another person disturb your inner peace. Don't give somebody else that kind of power. The only one that deserves that kind of power is Jesus. You see, the enemy of your soul, the one who comes to steal, kill, and destroy, the thief, wants nothing more than to disrupt your peace and well-being. And he accomplishes that usually through conflict with others and unforgiveness. We cannot be unaware of his schemes. So we're told to pursue peace with all people. But notice what verse 14 says. It says, pursue peace with all people and holiness, without which no one will see the Lord. Notice it's not just a command to pursue peace, but it's a command to pursue holiness. You see, pursuing peace with other people is a part of becoming holy, set apart for God's use. The word holiness in this passage means consecration. It means purification. It means sanctification of heart and life. It means that you're set apart to God and from sin. Do you understand? I've talked to you many times about sanctification here, and I just want to just go over it one more time with you because people get so confused over this. 
that there, there are three tenses of salvation. I have been saved. Everybody here, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, oh, I invite you tonight to be saved. I have been saved. I'm justified. When God looks at me, it's just as if I've never sinned. Oh man, I don't deserve that. But when he, when he looks at me, I'm covered with the blood of Jesus and he doesn't see my sin that deserves to be punished, that deserves death. He sees the blood of Jesus that's atoned for my sin. And so now I, I am the righteousness. I'm right with God because of Christ Jesus and the blood he shed on Calvary. Are you with me? Yes. It's just as if I've never sinned. That's how God looks at me. You see, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. You don't get to earn this. You don't get to work for this. It's a gift. Are you with me? You have been saved. There's another tense of salvation. I'm being saved. You say, well, Rhea, how does that work if I've already been saved? That word, I'm being saved, is sanctification. Sanctification. It is is God working. There are two... two, levels I'll use, uh, two kinds of of holiness. There's a positional holiness or sanctification and a practical sanctification or holiness. And, 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 And so everybody who's here, and you know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you have been declared holy. You are holy. And that's your position in Christ Jesus. It's just as if you've never sinned. You are the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. You have been set apart from sin to God and our position in Christ. We're in right relationship with God now because of Jesus Christ. When God sees us, he doesn't see our sin. He sees the blood of Jesus. And that's what makes us holy. That's our position. Uh, positional sanctification takes place the moment you receive Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. But because of that, because Jesus is in my heart, because of the grace of God, the same grace that saved me is working in my life, now I can have practical holiness. I can walk out the commands that God has commanded me to do. I can be holy because he's holy. I can make choices to obey him because of the power of God that's living inside of me. Not because I'm working it. Oh, I have to be holy. I have to be holy. I have to be holy. I have to be nice. I have to be nice. I have to be nice. I got to get rid of that behavior. I can't do that. That is not what it's about. It's about the power of God living within you. The same power that raised Christ from the dead living within you. You can say no to ungodliness now. You get to say no because the power of God living within you can do it through you. You're still not doing it on your own. It's still a work of grace. That's what that word holiness means there. The Evangelical Dictionary of Biblical Theology defines that word holiness as the state of proper functioning. To, state, to sanctify someone or something is to set that person or thing apart for the use intended by its designer. I love that. A pen is sanctified when it's used to write. Eyeglasses are sanctified when used to improve sight. In the theological sense, these things are sanctified when they're used for the purpose that God intended. A human being is sanctified, therefore, when he or she lives according to God's design and purpose. You see, our purpose is to manifest God to a lost and dying world, to love like he loved, to be conformed to his image and his likeness. And that means I'm going to pursue peace with others because God was intentional about pursuing peace with me. 
Because I want to be set apart for him. I want to look more like him. I want to act more like him. I'll be quick to forgive. I'll refuse to keep a record of wrongs. And I will not live to retaliate and get even. I will live at peace as far as it depends on me. Nobody's going to take me out of that place. The power of God lives within me so I can do that. J.C. Ryle says, Holiness is the habit of agreeing with God's judgment, hating what he hates, loving what he loves, and measuring everything in this world by the standard of his word. Not by our feelings, but by his word. Holiness like peace only comes through pursuit. No one ever gets holy without pursuing it. We have to be intentional as part of our sanctification process. I've been declared holy. Now I'm going to choose to be holy. But sadly, my condition doesn't always line up with my position, if you will. Are you following me? Even though I've been declared holy, I don't always act holy. Ask Dave. Our daily conduct may, be, may not be in keeping with our position, and so we pursue holiness. Because my daily conduct is not in keeping with the position that God declared over me. I'm going to pursue holiness. Are you with me? So pursue holiness, he says, without which no one can see the Lord. John MacArthur, I love this. He said, positionally in Christ, Christians are already at peace and already declared righteous. But practically, we have a great deal to do. Because we're at peace with God, we should be peacemakers. Because we're counted righteous, we should live righteously. Our practice should match our position. Pursuing peace primarily relates to loving men and pursuing righteousness primarily to loving God. If we love men, we'll be at peace with them. If we love God, we'll live righteously. Pursue peace and holiness without which no one will see the Lord. You say, well, Rhea, none of this seems very fair. I really like Jerry Bridges' quote. He wrote a book called The Pursuit of Holiness, which is phenomenal. And he said, we do not believe that humility is the path to God's exaltation. We jockey for a position of power. We look for position and power in our relations with others. Because we do not believe that God takes note of and will, in his time, avenge all wrongs done to us, we study in our own minds how we can get back at someone we feel has wronged us. Because we're not convinced of the deceitfulness of sin, we play with it, thinking we will thereby find satisfaction. And because we do not have a firm conviction that without holiness no one will see the Lord, we do not seriously pursue holiness as a priority in our lives. We jockey for a place of position and power in our relationship with others. What if when we were relating to someone, we had such inner rest, we had such inner peace that we're accepted by God and dearly loved by, by him that there would be no competition, there'd be no rival, there'd be no, oh no, what is he thinking about me? What is she thinking about me? Did I just say something stupid? None of that stuff will ever come on our radar because we understand we are accepted in the beloved and dearly loved by God. We don't have to rally, we don't have to, to uh, jockey for a place of position and power. We already have one in Christ. Verse 14b says, without which no one will see the Lord. I want you to make sure that you understand it does say, it doesn't say pursue peace with all men and holiness without which no one will go to heaven. It, it doesn't say that. It says no one will see the Lord. 
In Matthew 5, 8, Jesus said, blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. Can I just tell you that seeing God is my deepest longing? Oh, I don't mean getting to heaven and seeing him face to face. I mean seeing him at work in my life. Seeing him at work in my conversations I have with people. Seeing him at work in my family. Seeing him at work in my my marriage. That is my greatest longing in life. To see God. To see his power be made manifest in my life. It is my greatest longing. Blessed are the pure in heart. Those who who have a catheter. The word is catharsis there. I don't have it written down. But it's where we get our word catheter. Blessed are the pure in heart. Get this. Listen to me. Don't miss this. Pay attention. Blessed are the pure in heart. It's where we get our word catheter. Are you with me? Do you know what it looks like when they put a catheter in you in the hospital? What happens to your urine? Runs right out of you, doesn't it? Whatever's in your kidney flows right out of you into a bag by your bed. I know I'm being gross, but I have to tell you, that's the picture he's drawing there. Is don't let bitterness and hatred and anger and unforgiveness any place in your life. Let it be a catheter. The Holy Spirit catheterize you and just remove that thing. And you do not have the power to tick me off. You don't. Because I am not going to let that garbage in my heart because it interferes with me seeing God. And there is nothing worth that to me. And so there it goes. Catheter running right out of me. Just gave me a dirty look. Oh, rock on your bad self. It's coming out of me. I'm not holding on to that. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. I want to see God high and lifted up. He is real. He is powerful. He is almighty. He's supernatural. You see, the reason people are not on fire for God, the reason people aren't, the reason this place is not packed out on Monday night, is people have never seen God. Because once you see him, Oh my goodness, you will not allow anything in your life to disrupt it. People who are depressed, people who are full of despair, people that are angry and full of hatred, Kylie, how are you? It's so good to see you, beautiful. People who are full of bitterness and hatred and are mean and nasty, they just haven't seen God. They haven't experienced his power in their life. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they shall see God. More than I want to be right, I want to see God. More than I want the final word, I like the final word, I'm, just gonna, I'm not going to lie. <laughs> but more than I want the final word, I want to see God. More than I want vengeance, and sometimes I do, I want to see God. More than I want to smack somebody silly, and I can, I want to see God. That word, see it means to see with perceptive insight. It's the aha kind of seeing. It's so much deeper than a casual seeing or an observation. It comes from the root word to see with the mind. It's reference to an inward impression, to a spiritual experience. So oh, I love it. You see, the, the problem with the church today is they come to church on Sunday morning and they sit in the pew and they hear a preacher preach a good word and, you know, they hear about God but they never see him. They never see him at work supernaturally in his life. Do you understand? He's a bondage breaker. He's a a broken heart healer. Do you understand? He heals all our diseases. We we have a friend of ours that's going tomorrow. Uh, they, They think he might have a tumor in his colon. And I'm like, are you crazy? I am not receiving that diagnosis because we're gonna see God in that situation. We're gonna see him. And I'm not backing down. You see, that's the kind of God we have. He's supernatural and we've forgotten about it. 
We just, we, we keep them on Sunday morning nice and neat in our little pew. Please don't disrupt my, you know, I just want to, 45 minutes, and then I want to go home, watch a Packer game, eat lunch. And he's not rocking our world. When I met Dave, he rocked my world. I decided I wanted to marry that man because he rocked my world. He's still rocking my world. I fell in love with him. When God rocks your world, you will fall in love with him, and you will live your life committed to him. If you're here tonight and he hasn't rocked your world, ask him. Ask him to do that. Verse 15a says, looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God. That word looking carefully means to look upon, to inspect. It means that everything I'm doing, I'm saying, is Karen going to miss the grace of God in my interaction with her? I better pursue peace with her. I better pursue holiness in, in my dealing with her because I don't want her to miss the grace of God at work in her life. I want her to leave her interaction with me. You see, I got people that talk about me. <laughs> Leslie, my lion, I'm dying. I got people who talk about me. I got people who talk about our ministry, who are in ministry, by the way. Mm, that one burns my hide like nothing else. But I have made up my mind. I am pursuing peace with them and holiness in this girl because I want to see the Lord. They can decide what they want in their, in their life, but I am pursuing holiness and peace with all men. And that person, when I interact with them, they will never know they got me. <laughs> they're not going to miss the grace of God at work in their life. And they're going to leave an interaction saying, I said all that horrible stuff about her, and yet she loved me so well. You betcha. They're not going to miss out on the grace of God from this girl. Because here's what happens. When we miss out on the grace of God and fall short of the grace of God, look what happens in verse 15b. Lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this, many, many will be defiled. Spurgeon says, a bitter spirit is a poor companion for a renewed heart. Just like we pursue and hunt down peace, in our pursuit of it, we must be careful and watch out for any root of bitterness springing up in our life. Notice that it's a root of bitterness. It's a root. Roots are below the surface. They can stay hidden, can't they? This is what trips me up with, with, with people today. Is they've been done dirty. They've been hurt severely. And they, they work really hard. How you doing? Praise the Lord. Glad to be here. Can I pray for you? And yet, beneath the surface, they haven't done the hard work they needed to do. They haven't let God examine them and see if there's any wicked way in them. And there's a root that's growing under that surface. And you know what? Sooner or later, it will sprout out and give bad fruit. My daddy had a garden when we were growing up. I hated that thing with a passion. I hated it. I know that some of you really like gardening. I do not because I was the weed killer. I was the weed puller. And, and I'm pretty sure it was free slave labor for my dad. And I wanted to go be with my friends. And he was so proud of his garden. I mean, his rows were perfectly manicured. And, and his plants were fertilized. And they were beautiful and and weeds would pop up, and he had no tolerance for them. And he would give me this little tool that you had to stab down on the ground, and you got way down and deep with the roots, and you'd pull them out. And he would say to me, now, Rhea, it's really important that you get this at the root. And, and he said, you have to use this tool. And, and he'd give me a bucket, and he'd say, make sure you get it out by the root. And he said, if you don't, Rhea, he said, it'll choke all, the roots will choke out all the good plants and take the life, suck the life from all the good you won't even see it because the root will still be in the ground. 
And he said, and they'll sprout out with a vengeance. That, that weed that you just pulled will be back tomorrow, Rhea. You have to get it at the root. Well, I, I looked like that when he was there. I was digging them out. But the second he turned his back, I'd just go down through the weeds and just snap them at the surface. Because I had things to do and places to go. And, and I didn't have time for that weeding. And Daddy would come, never fail, look at the bucket, see that I snapped him off at the surface, and he would make me go back and dig out every one of those roots because he understood. Even though you couldn't see it on the surface, it would be back with a vengeance. We need to tend the garden of our heart the same way. You see, God says, if we have a root of bitterness, it's a root left. It will sprout up and defile many. It will trouble. Notice it says first, it will cause trouble and defile many. That word trouble means to harass. It means to, to, to just absolutely annoy. It means to molest. <laughs> you see, if we don't deal with the bitterness, and the bitterness is, it comes from unforgiveness. It comes from, I didn't get a good deal. I got ripped off. Life didn't play me a good hand of cards, and I'm mad about it. Who are we, the, pot, the clay, to say to the potter, you did me dirty? That was the race he marked out for me. It was marked out for me. All of the pain, all of the heartache, see, that interferes with some of your theology. But God allowed it in my life. If God wasn't big enough to stop it, he does not deserve your worship. He allowed it for a purpose and a plan. Every ounce of pain I have ever been through in my life, and I have been through it, has taught me more about him. Has, has, God has used it to prune me and to make me more like him. He's used it to point out things in my life that needed to go that I didn't want to see. And you see, he couldn't get at those things any other way. But I have to sit before him and say, Lord, those things did me dirty. Those things people said, those things people did to me. I don't want any rut left inside of me. And so I'm asking you, Lord, to search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me and deal with that root inside of me. Root it out, Lord. Root it out because I don't want it to trouble me. I don't want it to harass me. That word trouble means, to, it means disturbance or, or trouble or annoy. Some of you are sitting here tonight and, and you're just constantly annoyed. You're irritable. You're testy. You have this constant disturbance and, and, and lack of well-being inside of you. And it's because, it's just because you didn't weed properly. And God wants to get in there and he wants to deal with that root of bitterness that's left inside of you. You are too beautiful. You're too handsome. You're too powerful to let that garbage in your life. Lewis Evans says, unforgiveness is the result of failing to pursue peace and the residue becomes a root of bitterness, producing its bitter fruit time and time again. Bitterness reflects a smoldering resentment, a brooding grudge, a grudge-filled attitude, an unwillingness to forgive, or a harsh feeling. Bitterness is the opposite of sweetness and kindness. It harbors resentment and keeps the score of wrongs. God says, don't let any root of bitterness grow up within you because it'll trouble you and it will defile many. That word defile means to dye with another color or to stain. It'll pollute or contaminate you. Notice that it says it'll pollute or defile many. It doesn't just, it doesn't just hit the person that you are angry about. It doesn't just direct towards the person that did you wrong. 
It'll come out with the grocery store clerk. It'll come out with your children. It'll come out with the spouse that you love. It will find a way out. It will defile many, not just the person you've directed it as. Warren Wiersbe, one of my favorite commentators, says, an unforgiving spirit is the devil's playground. And before long, it becomes the Christian's battleground. If someone hurts us, either deliberately or unintentionally, and we do not forgive him, then we begin to develop bitterness within which hardens the heart. We should be tender-hearted and kind, but instead we are hard-hearted and bitter. And actually, we're not hurting the person who hurt us. We're only hurting ourselves. Last verse 16, it says, lest there be any fornicator or profane person like Esau, who for one morsel of food sold his birthright. Esau, if you remember, he um, had the birthright as the um, uh, elder son. And that, it was a major um, blessing to have that birthright. And, but he wanted a bowl of stew. <laughs> and he sold, because of that fleshly desire that rose up within him, he sold his birthright. He was willing to forfeit a long-term blessing for what he wanted in the moment. Here's what that looks like. I think that this is why the author included that in this passage. Because if Sandy hurts me, I have a choice. I can pursue peace with her and keep my inner peace, my inner well-being. I can offer her the grace of God that's been offered to me. Grace is undeserved. Do you understand that? She doesn't deserve it, Rhea. Well, that's what grace is. She doesn't deserve it. I'm going to give it to her anyway. So I have a choice. I can do that. Or I can, for a moment of pleasure, a moment of fleshly satisfaction, snap back and say something nasty. And I sell my birthright. Are you with me? Do you know what our birthright is as, as followers of Christ, as heirs with Christ Jesus? Come on, give me some of my birthright. Somebody, eternal life, what else? Peace, joy, what is it? Fruit of the Spirit, Spirit. kindness, self-control, peace. I forfeit my peace for one fleshly indulgence with Sandy. Do you see it? Nothing's worth that. I'm not going to be like Esau who forfeits my birthright to satisfy my fleshly desire. In closing, I've been thinking about duplicity this week because that's really what I want God to bless. I, I want to follow him. <laughs> I want his blessing in my life, but I want to fulfill my fleshly desire and snap back if somebody hurts me, hurt them back. I want to harbor unforgiveness and hatred. <laughs> I really want to live in both worlds. That's duplicity. That's double-mindedness. And I found this scripture this week that really rocked my world a bit. Let us hold tightly without wavering to the hope we affirm, for God can be trusted to keep his promise. Lord, help me summarize this. I, I was thinking about how I can switch back and forth to following God and doing what he says for being led according to the, the spirit and then being led according to the flesh and giving into my flesh dic fleshly dictates. We're fasting right now as a, as a Bible study, and, and I hope you're beginning to realize how much power your flesh has, <laughs> that it wants what it wants when it wants it, and that fasting is teaching us to hold that flesh down, to teach, teach us that we can say no to the flesh, that the spirit within us is stronger. 
But that's a daily decision as a Christian to yield to the spirit instead of yielding to the flesh, to love when you want to smack somebody silly, to say something kind when you want to bite their head off. That's a minute-by-minute decision to not live that double-minded life because we have to come to a place where we understand that God keeps his promises. And if he tells me that if I pursue peace with all men and holiness, I get to see God, baby, that's a promise. And I want it in my life. I want it in my life. I've been thinking a lot about harmony. If you stand beside me on a, I would not recommend standing beside me on a Monday night. I, I can't sing on tune even a little bit. Like, I was a cheerleader all my life, and I used my voice to scream, and it shows in the way I sing. And I can't sing one note on key in harmony at all. I can't do it. But it doesn't stop me. I do it anyway. But if you stand beside me, I will throw you off because I cannot, I don't sing in harmony with Ian. There's nothing more beautiful than we, at, at Dave's church, there's these two sisters that sing together and they sing harmony with each other and it's beautiful. And I have to watch them some mornings and I think which one is singing which, which note because when they sing in harmony, they're one. And you have a hard time picking out which one's which. Are you with me? I'm constantly saying to the Lord, and I am, am I in harmony with you right now? You see, when I snap at Leslie, I take myself out of harmony with God. We're not singing as one anymore. And I throw Leslie off and I throw, um, are you with me? And so I'm constantly saying to God, I want to live in harmony with you because there's nothing more beautiful than harmony, than oneness with him. That people look at my life and see oneness with him. The beauty of harmony. Is it not? Harmony is beautiful. And so this week as you go out, I want to challenge you. No matter how tired you are of the race. Some people are really hard to deal with and you get tired in, in the race. But fix your eyes on things above and not on the things of this earth. Ask God to strengthen you and then begin the pursuit I am going to pursue peace with you regardless of how you treat me. You snap at me, I'm just going to love you better because I want to see the Lord. I want to see him at work in my situation. I want to see him at work in my life. And I don't want anything you do to take me out of this place of inner peace and, and, and well-being inside of myself. God's word is powerful. It's powerful. But before you leave here, I'm going to ask Ian to come and and just close us out with a song, but I really want you to just take a moment and search your heart because I know in a room this size, and I'll just be honest with you, I could scan it. I, I could come right through this room and pick out the bitter people. I am so good at this. I won't, but I could. <laughs> and all that is is people that are harboring hurt and unforgiveness. You've been done dirty, and you have a right to hang on to it. But when we came to Christ, we gave up our rights for his, for his way. Here's one of my favorite scriptures. His pleasant path leads to pleasant places. His ways will always lead us to a pleasant place. The enemy's ways will lead you out of peace, into turmoil. It will harass and annoy your whole life. I'm going to ask you to let it go tonight, to be purposeful about standing before the Lord now and saying, Lord, search my heart and see if there's any wicked way in me. 
say, well, Rhea, that makes what they did to me right. No, it doesn't. It makes you understand that God will do what's right. He says vengeance is his. He will repay. Trust me. But if you're getting vengeance, you don't make room for his wrath. That's his word. That's what it says. Don't let what they did to you destroy you. Get them back by living well. And so I'm going to ask you to to rise to your feet as Ian prays. And I want to pray for you. I want to ask God to just begin a, a soul search tonight and put his finger on anything in your life. Maybe you were raised in a family that hurt you all the time. It was constant conflict and you got caught in the middle of it. I'm so sorry. But today that excuse gets let go of. Today we say everything I need for life and godliness is in me. I'm not giving that power up anymore. What they did to me doesn't determine who I am. Maybe it was a spouse who walked out on you for somebody else. You say, Rhea, it wasn't right. I agree with you 100% it wasn't right, but what's not right is you sitting in bitterness and unforgiveness about it. Let it go. Maybe it's somebody across the room here. Maybe they looked at you wrong or said something to you. Come on. Is it worth it? Let it go. Pursue peace. (laughs) The the peace you're in pursuit of isn't anything to do with them. It's you. Inner well-being. And I can't have that if I'm holding on to unforgiveness towards you. I'm going to let it go. So, Father, I pray right now, every person in this room who you know by name, Lord God, you know them by name. You're the God who sees. It's my favorite name of yours. That you've seen everything we've lived with, everything we've lived through, everything we've had to endure, all the hurts, all the pain, all the betrayal. I heard that word, Lord, all the betrayal that we've had to endure. The backbiting, the name calling. Lord, I pray right now against the name calling. Things that have been spoken over people in this room that went deep in their soul and a bitter root took took place there. I pray right now, Lord, for divine supernatural healing in Jesus' name. Lord, that you would root out that memory in Jesus' name. Jehovah Rapha, the Lord, our healer. I pray that you sweep through this room with your healing presence. Lord, that you touch broken hearts, Lord God. That you would mend broken memories, Lord God. I pray for hardened hearts. Hardened by sin's deceitfulness. I have a right to this. I'm entitled to this. That's deceitful. Sin is deceiving you. I pray, Lord God, right now in Jesus' name for a softening of hearts that have been hardened. I pray for those who have been rejected, who have been abandoned, who have been forsaken by people they should have been able to trust. Lord, thank you that you're a God who knows. That you can identify with all of our sufferings because you were tempted in every way that we are and yet without sin. I pray, Lord, that you would begin healing, Lord. Heal. 
Heal minds. Heal hearts, Lord. Heal marriages, Lord. Heal friendships, Lord. I believe, Lord. I believe that you are God and there's nothing impossible for you. I pray for people who are caught in the bondage of bitterness, held captive by unforgiveness, people who feel worthless and devalued. Lord, let tonight be the night that they see you they see you in power wash away Lord wash away pain and heartache heal dissension and division I believe you're our healer do what only you can do Lord I pray in the mighty name of Jesus I speak the mighty name of Jesus over this place. The name that's above all names. The name that's above pain and heartache and unforgiveness and bondage. I speak the name of Jesus. And I give him glory and honor and praise. In Jesus' name. Amen.